Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Andy Garcia here once again, checking in from Auckland, New Zealand, where we're doing our thing out here in the northern part of the region on our little lifestyle block. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's been a good day. The uh, just a quick update on my dog Storm. I know a lot of you have been following her story and she's just had the double knee surgery. Well, it's been four weeks in now or maybe going on to the fifth week, should I say. And she's doing absolutely phenomenal. I took her to the physical therapist last week and they said she's in great shape. She's doing very well. She gave me some uh, exercises to do with her to kind of strengthen the muscles. So we've been doing the exercises. Uh, she says she looks really good. And actually, this is the time to kind of be careful because people see their dogs progressing so quickly, but they're still a bit vulnerable in those first six weeks, letting the bone fully heal. So anyway, Stormy's doing great. Um, she's looking forward to running again because she's getting a bit anxious, having to be on this leash all the time. But anyways, the day will come. So today I have a very special guest. Caroline Pope joins me from Australia. Now, Caroline is one of the Australia's most recognized and well-known animal communicator. She's been communicating professionally for over two decades and a real breakthrough when she discovered cranial sacral therapy for animals. You know, this meant that she was able to just communicate with animals, with whether they were dealing with discomfort, with arthritis, you know, poor saddle fitting, things that, you know, our animals just we, we try and figure out what's going on and we, we give the best educated guess, but it's, it's very difficult. So, you know, Caroline brings this alternative technique that can really um, provide answers to what we're looking for, what our animals ultimately are looking for in terms of support. In 2016, uh, she's discovered an amazing NES health that the results that achieve with her own animals and since then has become an NES practitioner. So I'm looking forward to hearing what that's all about as well. So Caroline, thank you for checking in from Australia and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me on. Absolutely. You know, I love working. We were talking before and I just love, you know, having these conversations with these holistic um, alternative practitioners when it comes to animal health, because, you know, there's so many different modalities. And I think, you know, I always say I'm a multi-modality guy. I don't just specialize in one thing. I like to bring on a little bit of a mixture of everything. And if I can't, if I don't have the skill set, then, you know, I like to sub stuff out as well. Like I've, I've sent, um, you know, some of my clients to see animal chiropractors or massage therapists or whatnot. So I'm, I'm very interested to learn, you know, what you have to offer as well as, you know, your, your background and everything else in terms of just working with animals in general. So, you know, just describe, you know, what an animal communicator is for those out there kind of wondering at this moment. Well, for those that watch television, and I don't, uh, think of Dr. <laughs> Doolittle. I was, I'm the only person I know that hasn't seen Dr. Doolittle. But at any rate, uh, yeah. that's literally what it is. It's telepathics, tele being distance, pathy being fe um, feeling. So essentially, you're feeling another being over a distance. And we're all born with the ability. Every single one of us does this. You have a mother take yeah. a baby into the hospital. And she'll say to the doctors, I don't know what's the matter, but I know there's something wrong with my baby. The doctors and nurses will listen because most of the time they're right. Mm. Identical twins, one just knowing what's going on with the other. And apparently Hitler did some pretty interesting experiments with them. Um, but again, that's telepathics. But of course, they're allowed in inverted commas to be seen to be different. People do it too. How often do you just think of someone and then they'll call? Because yeah, we're picking up on it. So it's exactly the same. And we're all born with the ability. But if you're a baby, unless you're actually dying, telepathics don't really get you very far. Then the kid says its first word, mum or dad or whatever, everyone starts making a fuss. So the baby learns that, you know, verbalizing gets my needs met. Telepathics really doesn't get me that far. And then, of course, they get to, I don't know, 18 months, two years and they, yeah, they might say something like the horse has got a headache or Fido told me they had a tummy ache. And most of the time the parents will go, yeah, don't be silly. Dogs or horses can't talk or they'll punish the kid for lying. So, of course, we start shutting down on one, building up 
one another. If you listen to that, um, the words, I often thought of the, um, it's not Kiss, I don't generally know it, Super Tramp, the logical song. And uh, yep. it says the birds in the trees are singing happily, joyfully, but then they send her away and teach her how to be logical and responsible and practical and all the rest of that. And then she says, who am I? Please oh, yep. who I am. And that really sums it up. I mean, we tell our kids off for daydreaming. And then as 20 plus year old executives, they're going to learn to meditate, to do exactly what they were doing as a six-year-old. Yeah, what came naturally to them. Yeah, that's right. Incredible. And yeah, we do have these moments, these telepathic connections that kind of come up quite often. But of course, we would like to call them something else, right? Or, oh, it's just a coincidence or whatnot. But yeah, I mean, there's, it's, there's constant times where, you know, my wife's, you know, said something and I'm like, I was just thinking about that, you know, or, you know, like you said, you know, you're thinking about a friend and they call or they send a text message or, you know, all these little incidences constantly pop up and, and we like to just think of it as more coincidental, but I think there's something more to that, you know, there's that, that connection, that telepathic connection that we're making, but not acknowledging that we are, you know, so, at, you know, let's talk, let's talk about your background. What, what was it like growing up? Was this a skill that you really kind of obviously, you know, like you, you mentioned, um, typically this is pushed down or pushed away or, um, you know, the, this type of, um, these, this type of communication. So was this something that came through strongly at, when you were growing up um, or when, what, at what point did you discover like this is, this is something that, you know, I want to continue doing? Nope, not at all. Traditional um, middle class background growing up 60s, 70s, 80s in Melbourne. I was always animal mad. Um, I desperately wanted, one of my earliest recollections is wanting a rocking horse and never got one. I often think how much money I would have saved over the years if I'd had the rocking horse, I probably wouldn't have got the real thing. And yeah, what can I say? Yeah. But um, no, my, um, we weren't allowed to have animals. My father, his mother had had animals and he didn't want them. Um, so going to his mother's place, my grandmother was a big thing. Not, and with all due respect to her, it was more to see the dogs than anything else. Um, my father died when I was 15 on July 12th. On Friday, the 13th of August, we had a black dog from the RSPCA. And the only reason we waited that long was school holidays. I'd always been animal mad, um, but yeah, wasn't allowed to have them. Uh, I left school at 16, started vet nursing. I'd always, always known I wanted to work with animals. That was you know, never a thing. Didn't really, I mean, I did a year or two of truck driving, a year of McDonald's management, but it was always animals were my passion. Sadly, back in those days, and probably still, a checkout chick at Coles got paid more than a vet nurse. So it's always been a thing you do because you love, not for the money. And then back in the late late 90s, I think it would have been, um, I'd been um, patronising one of the new age stores, just having a bit of a look around local area. And the woman knew me, Martine, that was the Blue Angel in Mount Waverley. A lot of um, Australian people will know Martine. And she um, said to me, listen, they've just had a book because she knew I was animal mad on animals. Um, so I ordered it in, thought she might like to have a look at it. So I picked it up and it was by, it was called Communicating with Animals. And it was by a guy called Arthur Myers, who was actually a Washington Post journalist, did won a bunch of investigative awards before he wrote the book. Looking back, had I started with someone else, I probably wouldn't have got into this. Um, because a lot of them were very, as I call them, peace, love and moonbeams. But I mean, the opening words in the book were, I am a skeptic. And that's what I liked. So I took this home, said, thank you very much. And um, started about nine o'clock at night and literally sat up until I'd finished reading the entire book in one hit. And that was kind of it for me. I went down the paddock the next morning. And the first thing I saw was um, one of the other horses down there, Roni. And I heard quite clearly, I need clean water. And I, whoa, wandered over, had a look, and sure enough, his trough was empty. So I filled that for him. And from that day, every, I never heard anything again from him, but from that day on, every time he saw me, he'd plant his feet, even if he was being led, and eyeball me. I often wonder, yeah, what he would have liked to have said to me. I just never picked anything up again. 
Um, so I wrote off to all the communicators in the book. And of course, this was pre-internet. We did survive those days, pre-podcast, pre-everything. I know, right? <laughs> it seems like that was so long ago nowadays. Oh, it was. It was. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, it used to take six weeks for a letter to get across um, to America. So I, um, I got one back from a woman who I don't think communicates anymore. I think she's retired, Kate Riley. And I've still got that letter today. And then just quickly, Doc, the horse I had at the time, got Ross River virus. And he was really bad. And the, um, his gum colour was literally white. And the vets oh, came wow. had a look at him and said, sorry, sweetheart, knacker. He's, yeah, he's the number. Nothing we can do. He's just so far gone. So desperate people do desperate things. I um, went to Martine and said, listen, I know you do Reiki. Well, yeah, will you do one on a horse? Oh, of course, Caroline, not a problem. Um, found out later she'd never worked with an animal and promptly called her um, uh, Reiki master. But of course, yeah, you find all that out later. She called me up and said, look, yeah, I've done it. There's a couple of things here. I've got a bit of paper. I've jotted it all down. So I went across and got it. And the moment I looked at it, I realised Martina tapped into animal communication. Mm. So I went down the paddock with this piece of paper and dragged Doc into the shed because no one was going to see me talking to a horse. I wasn't going to be thought of as weird. That still appeals to me now. And said, <laughs> Martine says, you say this. Well, this is my response. And she said, this is what you reckon? Well, this is my answer to it. Next morning, Doc was 100%. Wow. No could understand it. No, nothing. So was I jumping up and down and going, woohoo, I have a well pony? It was, oh, crap. Now I've got to do Reiki too because I'd done Reiki one and absolutely hated it. Um, but obviously I was meant to do Reiki too. So, of course, I enrolled and it all went from there. Wow, that's incredible. Now, when when you were growing up, was this, um, you know, obviously you said you, you weren't able to work with animal or have animals, should I say, but you were animal mad. <laughs> I love that term. Um did you see yourself potentially just working with animals on a professional level? Maybe not in this setting, but just in general. Was that, you know, kind of a, a goal that you had? Oh, I always knew I was going to be a vet nurse. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we did work experience, the only place I enrolled and I um, was vet clinics. And I actually did two in the school holidays. Um, in those days, you used to have two weeks of school holidays um, and both times I did a full week of um, work experience there as well. So, yeah, that, that was never, ever um, going to change. I always knew that part of it. Um, but, yeah, just not the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, similar with me, I, I share a similar story where, you know, always had a passion for animals, but just didn't know how that would look professionally. But I knew that I would be involved somehow. Now, this is pretty much all I do. So it's pretty, it's incredible. But, you know, in, in, it's just one of those, you know, intuitions where you know that one day you're going to be able to, you know, be working with animals. And, and in my case, I'm really glad that I took this route because I know I'm caring for animals on this level that, you know, I just, I, I didn't expect it to come this way, but it did, you know, so awesome. So what, what I want to talk about is, you know, what, what were you doing? before kind of going down this route of becoming an animal health practitioner? Like what, what was the day in the life and the career and everything? Well, mainly it was veterinary nursing. That's yeah. pretty much, I mean, I'd done um, a year of McDonald's management. I think I was about 19 then. And that was good. I learned a lot. Also learned it wasn't my style. Um, did a year or so of truck driving. Love that. That was a lot of fun. Um, but I was hand unloading 25 kilo bags of flour all day. So, um, and the other company got restructured, but again, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, I do enjoy driving, which is just as well, because it's a big part of my job now. But, uh, yeah, apart from that, it was always vet nursing. And when I was doing all of this, starting the whole communication journey, I was vet nursing. Yeah. So if that, you know, the ironic part is when I first started reading, I thought, my God, this is this is the missing link. And I've been very lucky in that regard. I know a lot of people still don't know at 50 and 60 what they want to do when they grow up kind of thing. When I read the book, there was no ifs, 
no buts. It was an absolute deep gut knowledge of this was what I was going to do. Ditto CST and this. I've been lucky. I mean, it's been a rough road in a lot of ways. I've, I, you know, I'm a pioneer in what I do, but there's never been any doubt. It's just, you know. And so from that perspective, I've been very fortunate. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about CST. Now we're, we're referring to cranial sacral. Is that therapy? Yes. Cranial okay. Cool. Therapy. So what what is it that exactly? I mean, I've I've I don't know much about. It. I mean, I've heard my wife loves it. She you know she loves to go get cranial sacral um, every so often. And I've been to a couple of you know festivals where there were some cranial sacral practitioners uh, you know kind of promoting what they did. But explain to the audience, what is, what is cranial sacral? It's a form of body work and it's derived from osteopathy. Um, and it's really, really light hands-on. The cranial rhythm itself, you can feel anywhere on the body. You've got your heart rate, you've got your respiratory rate. You've also got your cranial rhythm. The craniosacral system itself, it's, it's literally an enclosed hydraulic system. You've got the, um, the cerebral fluid being made in the four ventricles and the brain goes down the spine to the sacrum. Cranium is head, sacrum, sacral, and you know, everything in between. But you're working with the limbic part of the brain, which is the emotional part of the brain. You're working with the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's very, very light hands-on. The most pressure you're putting on is literally that of a 20-cent piece. And that's why I love it. You're not forcing the body to do anything. You're literally plugging in and letting the body do its own thing. And I got involved with it because I suffered. And looking back now, we know a lot of it was thyroid based. I had my um, thyroid out in my late 20s. Um, but when I say migraines, they were alternating morphine and pethidine every second day. It wasn't much fun. Literally couldn't walk around the block for a few years. It was all pretty horrible. And the craniosacral was what um, stopped the migraines for me. So, of course, wow. that got my instant and undivided attention. And being the sort of person that I am pushing others out of their comfort zone, I asked my um, CST therapist to come down and work on my horse. And so that was Doc. And so she had a bit of a look at anatomy and said she was happy to try. Now, Doc had always been slightly head shy about having a bridle or a halter put on. And as many people did back in the day, you thought that was behavioural. Well, one session with Deb, she released his temporal bones and until the day he died, he was rock solid around his head. And that, wow. and I'd had him at that stage for about six or seven years. So we're not talking a new horse and re-educating by any stretch of the imagination. And that kind of um, made me sit up and get my undivided attention and promptly decided, well, being animal mad, this is, this is what I want to do. So I had a look around and for a while I worked with a gentleman who had been a school teacher, but had also been a racehorse trainer at one stage, and he was doing animal CST. So we'd work together and I'd say to him, what's this point here? And he'd say, it's not a point. I'm going, well, put your hand there. And then of course it had released. So I guess I was already starting on a subconscious level to see the energy of where the blockages were. So we worked together for quite a while. He's a lovely bloke. And then um, he had a car accident and decided he didn't want to drive as much, which just didn't kind of work. And so I thought that was the end of it. And they, people said to me, well, why aren't you doing CST? There's someone coming out. And I said, because it's at over $1,000 a level. And I mean, this is back in the early 90s. And I just didn't have that kind of cash. Right. So I got a phone call a couple of days later and bless them, three of my clients had banded, chipped in together and called me up and said, these are the dates we've paid. You're going. You owe us a bunch of CSTs on each animal when, you, um, when you've done it. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So the clients, they said, you know what, we need this in our life and you're the practitioner for us. So let's chip in and, and let's get it. Let's get you sorted. That's awesome. Incredible story. I've been very, very fortunate with my clients. I had the same happen after I lost champ, a couple of them chipped in so I could buy another horse. I'm wow. very, very um, grateful. It's important, you know, it's that relationship between the client and the practitioner and, you know, the owner, basically, you know, client owner, because we work with the animals, um, you know, those relationships are very important. And uh, it's very cool to see, you know, them coming together like that. So I just want to go back real quick. So you're the original lady that you were working with cranial sacral for yourself for the headaches. Now, she had never worked on animals before, but 
was able to come out and just simply just flow right through it. And um, did that open up any other doors for her to start working with animals in the future as well? Oh, look, I've um, nagged her quite a few times. <laughs> yeah, she's um, she worked one, tagged one of my cats. Um, I took him to um, her a few times um, when he was on his way out and it made a big difference. But she runs, Deb has actually um, used to teach as well. She was one of the very first cranial therapists in Australia and John Upledger who ran one of the founding institutes that taught it. He actually said, if there's one woman I want to teach this, it's Deb, she's mm. gifted. So she did a little bit, but um, you know, she knows her forte and plenty of, I mean, a lot of people, as you say, still hasn't heard of CST now for humans, although it's being taught more for osteopaths and there's quite a few osteopaths out there. So she um, came from it the other way. She did uh, CST and then later went on to become an osteopath as well. Oh, wow. So is how many practitioners are out there, like in just in your own region or Australia in general that are doing CST with animals? Is it, is it pretty popular or still kind of a growing um, industry? Very much a growing industry. And look, um, I know there's now a couple of schools within Australia and I believe one teaches but I really don't know the numbers. Um, I know of one other, um, Danny Simmons, Holistic Horse, who's um, in Melbourne, and she's brilliant and very, very gifted. Um, but yeah, I don't know too many. And that's it. There's more and more coming up through the ranks. But now, but back in the day, I was one of the very few. The pioneers, one of the pioneers, because, you know, it's a bit of an alternative, especially because it, it, it probably, there was probably a form. Can you talk about the history? Has this been going on for like centuries? Has this been going on for, you know, millennia? How, how far does this go back? And maybe it was called something different back then. Well, from my understanding, and I don't have the book anymore because sadly, literally the dog ate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, as they do <laughs> as they do um but no john upledger was a surgeon and he was one of the ones that discovered it and he talked about assisting with brain surgery and being unable to stem the flow of something and of course that was the cranial flow and it all went from there and he wound up mm. doing stuff in i think it was michigan don't quote me um and they started working with people and this is where the whole western versus european stuff came in because from the what the American people had been you know, doctors had been taught was that the skull was one solid bone, and of course, when he'd say that it wasn't, he'd get all this hoo ha. And apparently, he was then saying it in a lecture over in Europe and was waiting for the hoo ha. Said it again, and they went, "Well, yeah, we know that." So oh, wow. just because it's taught in one thing um, area doesn't mean it's automatically taught in another. And he did some really interesting stuff. I remember reading, particularly with autistic kids. Mm. Um, and a lot of them had been cesarean births and stuff like this, and the cranial rhythm gets um, disrupted. And they were having fabulous results. But of course, because kids keep growing, because that's what they're meant to do, of course, they needed to keep being adjusted. And usual story, funding ran out. But there were some fascinating um, stories, and one in particular, um, yeah, he got asked to do a lot of people and this little boy wasn't able to walk and his mother was desperate, obviously. Um, and he said, look, can't do anything privately, but if you don't mind me using him as a demo in a lecture. So they did that. And I think he said he worked on the parietal bone for half an hour or something. I, I really can't remember now, but I do remember he said the next day, he was halfway through a lecture and realised no one was looking at him. And he's sort of getting a bit peeved as you would. Um, and then turns around and here's this little boy walking up the aisle between the um, chairs holding his mother's hand. Wow. It's, it's like watching paint dry. Seriously, it's boring. It doesn't look like you're doing anything, but if you're actually having it done, you feel. And of course, animals, as is often the case, are much, much more energetically um, in sync than we are. And they just take it and run with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they just they're just on another level with their sensories, you know, and a lot of that, you know, we kind of like like you were talking about earlier, we dole ourselves down as we, you know, we, we were like that at one point as a as an early child or a baby and whatnot. But it's, uh, you know, society seems to dole us down a bit as time goes on. 
Whereas the animal, uh, especially wild animals, you know, they're on another level. Um, but the animal seems to respond very well to holistic treatments. And, that, and that's what I love because there's just no um, placebo or anything else that gets in the way, right? The mind, the, the mental stuff doesn't get in the way. It's just, they just respond and they typically respond very well. So do you work with chiropractors as well? Or are there chiropractors getting involved? Cause it seems like this would be kind of in line with them with obviously they're all about the adjustment in the, in the flow of, of the spine, um, and how that all connects to the entire body. Um, you know, and the foundation of health, so to speak. So are there chiropractors also picking this up? Look, I think the entire animal movement, there's a heap out there. There's some good um, canine and equine chiros. Yeah, um, it's, it's like anything. All roads lead to Rome. I can't tolerate chiro. My body just doesn't do it. Whereas CST, it really works. Other um, people can't feel anything with CST, need chiro. Animals are no different. Um, you know, they may need one thing one day and another another. It's no different to you. Sometimes you need one modality, sometimes you need another. There's, you know, never one modality that fits all. They're all tools in the toolbox. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I preach, you know, constantly. It's never just that one thing, you know, it's, a, it's, it's multiple and it all kind of collects together. And you're right, one day it's this, the other day it's that. So as far as, you know, working with cranial sacral, um, is this something that, um, are there courses out there that just like a, you know, let's say a dog owner um, may want to learn a little bit about so they can do it like on a base level? Um, is, are the, is there stuff out there for people? Um, I, I believe there is now. To be honest, I haven't looked yeah. in years. Um, right. I know the Sunshine um, College used to do it. Um, and that's one of the things I think at the moment, and again, this is purely a personal um, observation. I don't know that you'd be able to teach it that well online because you can't teach feel. Yeah. And, you, you know, people can't, if you can't do hands-on with half a dozen different animals in a row all lined up, you're not going to feel the difference because you're not going to know from one day to the next. And of course, you know, I'll work on my own animals in an emergency situation, but it's communications are the same. You know, it's like the doctor not treating their own kids. You need to remain detached. Mm -hmm. You can't do that when they're your own. And so because your energy is so enmeshed with your animals, they're always going to do better with someone else. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent point because you're spot on there. Um, even with my own dog, just in general, of just trying all my animals, you know, I do, I do um, obviously provide them the, the basic therapies. Um, but from like a practitioner, it's very hard for me to work with my dog because there's just that massive emotional connection and it kind of gets in the way sometimes of re really me diving in and going deep thought and, and creating my wellness plan. You know, and so oftentimes I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to others, you know, and some people go, well, aren't you a practitioner? Yeah, but, you know, even in school, we talk about this, you know, we used to talk about this quite often is, you know, um, you have somebody else work with your animal. It's going to, you're going to be better off for it. And, and they're, they were absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've got um, Dr. Christine G, Spinal Vet and Associates. She does all the horse adjustment stuff on Arwen. Um, you know, I've been fortunate. She's also been working on poor old Mecco, the um, subplanonac I now have, and she's done the cats. But I mean, I used, I've used Danny. There's heaps of different practitioners I've used over the years. Um, and it's the same for communication. I will not, um, I have a very good on off switch and a lot of people don't. And I think that's why I'm still doing this, you know, 20 plus years down the track mm. because I don't burn out. And I particularly, it's ironic. You know, I speak to deceased animals all the time, but I never hear my own. And I have fond recollections of um, one of my mares that I had to euthanize. It wasn't a good week. I lost um, the cat on the Monday. Dad went into hospital on the Wednesday. He was going to fly over to Australia um, to be with me when I put this mare down on the Friday. And of course, she felt really ripped off because he was in hospital in America instead of being over there. Mm. And uh, she went to God on the Friday. 
and I got this. He was still in hospital on, I think it was on the Saturday, and he communicates quite well. And I got this um, text from him going, my God, now I know why they call horses nags. How did you put up with her? She never shuts up. How do you get her to go away? <laughs> I, can't, I still haven't really heard from her, but I believe he still hears from her quite regularly. Wow. Incredible. So what is it? I mean, when, when you're communicating, is it just, do you hear the words or is it just the sense that we, you kind of put it into English, so to speak? Is it just, um, you know, what, can you describe that? Well, everybody gets it differently. And I think that's one of the things that for me was the hardest, because when I read um, all the communicating with animals and a few other bits and pieces, and of course, keep in mind, you couldn't go back and Google back in the day. It was all clairvoyant, which was a picture behind your eyes, the visuals, clairaudient, which was the hearing, or clairsentient, which is the feeling. And that's, um, you know, you might walk into a room with a cat that's got kidneys that are um, bung and all of a sudden you've got a massive pain in your lower back. That's clairsentient. Less than, mm -hmm. I think it's 10% of the population are claircognient, which is that just knowing with no emotion attached. And mm -hmm. that's me. Um, right. naturally I have to be different just because I can but of course when I was expecting to get it in certain ways and I wasn't I was assuming I wasn't getting anything and that was the hardest part for me once I got my head around that um, and look some days I'll feel a little bit um, very occasionally I'll get a visual but for me it's a just knowing which is why even with communication I've got a couple of clients that I've been seeing monthly for 10 or 15 years. I'm not going to try and communicate much with them because I'm too close. Right. Someone else to do that in the same way with my own animals. I've got a couple of vets and ex vets that won't admit it, but they communicate brilliantly. So I'll always get, you know, ask them to do it because I'm too close. Right. Yep. There's definitely that aspect that's interesting about the you know, different forms, I guess, that come through and it's, it's hard to pinpoint, but I'm just kind of thinking of my own, you know, I, I think I'm more, more or less, you know, let's say my, my wife says something and I was just thinking about that. I think it's more of like a thought um, scenario that kind of plays through, but you're right. It's, it, you got to have that on off switch, so to speak, because there's a lot of thoughts that come through and it's like, which, which one is, is legit and which one is not, <laughs> or is it all legit? You know, it's just, it's hard to kind of decipher, you know, um, of, of what's going on sometimes, but, um, I guess it's just, you know, a bit of work that I can do to get more clarity around that. So what I want to do is talk about, um, NES therapy. Now you discovered this in 2016. Uh, you know, that, I believe that was with your own animals, right? Now, Ironic, it was a horse vet, um, a racehorse vet, in fact, from interstate that called me up and wanted to learn to communicate. Yes, replay that little bit. It still does my head into this day thinking about it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I said, what are you charging? And I said, mate, you're a vet that's coming down from interstate. Believe me, this one's on the house. Um, so in return, he brought down the nest thing. He said, look, I'd like to show this new thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, did it on a couple of my own animals. And I was absolutely blown away um, that particular day. And a uh, couple of months, and we kept in touch. It was fascinating stuff. And it was pretty cutting edge. And because he was a vet and was using it, it got my attention. And then when I started doing a little bit of um, digging, um, Norm Shealy, who'd worked with Carolyn Mace, rather a lot and who was very down to earth he'd been involved so I went okay this has got something in it so started really looking uh, myself at it and then they had a um the very first of the remote scanners for animals which was um you know I was able to scan with a like a little mouse um the energy field and then it will go to the practitioner's computer um and the practitioner in this case was this vet who was in New South Wales and I was in Victoria and this particular cat I'd had for a little bit and she really wasn't well and she wasn't able to who without an enema, whole bunch of, and we, we literally couldn't touch her. Um, towards the end, it was pain-killing injections because tablets weren't cutting it every second day. Um, and that's no way to live. So I decided I was going to bump her because um, she had no quality of life. And I'd said to him, oh, I don't suppose, um, and he said, look, we can scan out of interest, which we did. And he said to me, but, with everything you've described, 
I don't think there's any hope for her. And I said to her, well, why can't you do what you did with um, Corona, which looking back now is using the My Health? And he said, because it only works within a couple of feet. And I went to him, sweetheart, they've been doing absent Reikis for years. They know if they split the atom, one part always finds the other. Yo, do it. Oh, all right then. So we organised a time, um, which was a cup day here. And I said, right, yeah, we'll be on the phone. You can start doing it. I'll tell you if there's any results. So the first place he started doing, um, which looking back now must have been the pineal gland or something or the atlas. And he said, right, what's she doing? I said, well, she's just jumped into the litter and had a wee. And he said, well, that's interesting because that's top of the kidney meridian. Must have been pineal. Um, yep. Anyway, he did all these things and she was yawning and you know, stretching and doing all the stuff which she didn't normally do. And he was about to go. And I said, what's the story with brain? He went, oh, there's a couple of brain holograms, but, oh, but we don't do those. I said, well, we do because she's asking for it. But I don't, mm. shut up and do it, you know. Yeah. So within a minute and a half, <laughs> yeah, my usual subtle thing, within a minute, she literally went blind. Um, you could see the pupils were big. She started bumping into walls. I might add, I've never seen that um, since it was purely to get my attention, which it did. Only lasted a couple of minutes. Then she jumped up onto the... Um, the big cat post and started you know, doing all the yawning and the integrating. So I called, yeah, we hung up and he was quite blown away. Rang him back five minutes later and went, you're not going to believe this. She's just gone in and had the first poo by herself in like a month. And I said, so send the infraceuticals. And I got an extra 11 months out of her. And until the day before she died, she never needed another painkiller and never had any more problems. Um, so I thought pooing. Afterwards, they realised there was massive, massive spinal damage. They couldn't believe she was still around um, or that she'd even been able to walk. And that was obviously the infraceuticals. So, yeah, old, old story. When it's meant to get your attention, it does. And that one kind of red flagged it. And the more I started looking into it and experiencing it, the better. Got the animal system. And then um, a lot of humans were wanting the same as what their animals had. And back in the day, there weren't that many human practitioners. So, um, yeah, and I, I, Cyril, the um, who had who was the guy that made the My Health, that was basically, um, at the time, he was the Australian CEO, because I remember when I started saying, mate, there's not a snowball's chance in hell I'm going to be working on humans. Don't even go there. Just don't even bother wasting your time asking me because I won't be doing it. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, can I have the human system, please? Um, yeah. There's much, much more finesse than my people skills that um, I now see people as well. And then in 2017, I think it was, or 18, I did my back. Um, and when I say I did it, I mean, they were telling me, sell your horse. You're never going to walk properly again. You're going to need spinal surgery. Wasn't, oh, a, wow. fun, uh, wasn't a fun six months. Wake up, have painkillers. So wait half an hour so you can stand up to get dressed because otherwise you black out or vomit in pain. Um, mm. It kind of went from there. It wasn't fun. But um, to Deb, the, um, the osteo slash CST, lots of exercises every hour on the hour um, and nets and particularly looking at all the, um, the German new medicine, the mind stuff with that, I'm cured on MRI. Um, no pain, no painkillers. Um, I'm a little bit more conscious now and do a lot more stretching and stuff. But, you know, back riding horses and doing all the silly things people um, do, and I'm fine. Wow, incredible. So this is a tool. Um, can you just describe the, the mechanism? Yeah, well, basically the whole thing with Ness is it's, it, it's all quantum and it gets to frequency. Um, okay. Very yep. brief overview. gentleman called Peter Frazier, who was an Aussie, naturally, um, he was also a TCM. He actually founded the TCM Teaching College in Sydney. Okay. Wound up with um, chronic fatigue. And when he got better, he went, well, why is it that the doctors can't give me anything? Yo, TCM works for a bit, then not. Yo, homeopathy works for a bit, then not. Um, and started researching and had to get into quantum as to discover why. He was then talking with a bunch of other people, ultimately wound up meeting Harry Massey, who was an English guy um, who'd also been bed bound with chronic fatigue for years. They met in America and started um, yeah, the building on this um, knowledge. And basically the, where Ness differs, Peter was mapping what he called the human body field. Most people know it as the energy field or the aura. But because mm -hmm. he wanted it taken seriously, he, he coined a new phrase for it. 
Right. Um, and what he what was fascinating for him was when he started um, going into quantum and building it all up, he found that all the meridians were pretty much exactly where the Chinese said they were umpteen thousand years ago mm -hmm. um, before technology. But the difference between, I think, Ness and a lot, and the, the question they asked that was the smartest was instead of going, what happens when it goes wrong? Because, I mean, we all know we can go wrong. You can get cancer, you can get COVID, you can have a car accident. It's still all out of balance. They went, well, what's the information with the perfect blueprint of where the body is working and the body field is working properly? Because it doesn't matter why it's wrong all you need is information for when it's right and that was the foundation of ness and of course your body is one half of the coin your body field is the other and i think the most common knowledge about it is say phantom limb pain you've lost the arm or the leg or whatever and i mean you know, go back to the ball war they were documenting phantom limb pain there and before because in those days the only way to save the person's life was to hack off the limb but of course the nerves may not be in the body anymore if you've lost your arm, for example, but the body field still has it. And when they did that curly in photography back in the day, that was what they found. Take a photo of the leaf, um, chop out part of the leaf. You've still got the full leaf in the energy field on the, on the um, picture. And that's essentially, in a nutshell, what Ness does is it measures over 150 points on the body field because your body um, field, think of it like a computer. It stores everything from when you pop out a mum. Yep. So all the information for all of your history is in there. They show um, basically what they call integrators, similar to the Chinese meridians. There's all the German new medicine in there. For those that don't know about that, we all, it's the same um, emotions, just a different story. We all store the same emotions in the same parts of our body. Now, for a lot of people know Louise Hay did the You Can Heal Your Life. That's all German new medicine. What Louise Hay did was publish that in a way that the Western world got it and then um, essentially founded a publishing empire. But we all store, you know, the story might be different, but the emotion might be fear of being attacked. Everybody's gonna store that same emotion in the same part of their body, but the story, as to why they had the fear of being attacked is going to be different in every person. And so ah, working, yeah, working with that, um, with the infraceuticals, which are literally information um, and you're giving the body field the correct information because when you get to um, quantum, everything is frequency. So when something's mm -hmm. resonating at the wrong frequency, you have problems. So essentially the infraceuticals going, oi, you're not meant to be resonating at 22.3 the correct resonance is 22. Body feel goes, oh, yes, so it is. So it starts to shift back to that. And, of course, because your body field and the body are two sides of the same coin, once the body field starts shifting, you'll also get changes in the physical body. And that, in a nutshell, is, um, is the, the infraceuticals and the precious, as I call it, or the my health. That's a combination of tens pulsed electromagnetics frequency and scanner. Mm. And it's the only one at the moment, I believe, that has not only uh, uses global scaling, but has corrective information. So say, for example, kidneys in a cat, you're unblocking at the frequency of kidney, which of course, it's like wireless acupuncture, it gets rid of pain, but it also unblocks a corresponding meridian, which means it will be unblocking the whole kidney meridian as well. And that's why I love it because if I can't, people say to me, oh, you can't get the, anywhere near the cat, but we know it's hurt its leg. And I'll look at it and go, yeah, I think it's sciatic nerve pain. I can be four or five feet away, point the My Health at the cat on the frequency of sciatic nerve pain. And you'll soon know if you're right, because you know, it'll start to release. The cat will go, oh, thank God it doesn't hurt anymore. Pop up next to you and go, right, what's the next one, please? It's right just fascinating and you can work with birds and aviaries you can do all sorts of stuff it's actually a registered first aid device for humans with the tga here in australia oh um, is it really wow yeah yeah but it's um yeah great for getting kicked by horses getting burnt all sorts of stuff i mean i just never leave home without it how the hell i've existed my painkillers has gone down 
before I got rid of the headaches and stuff, but my painkillers was down 90% when I had the My Health. Wow. So my liver and kidneys were much happier with that. Yeah, absolutely. I would say so. So this tool, ultimately, if I'm understanding it right, kind of sends the frequency of what it should be to the body's location, so to speak, like you were talking about the kidney frequency. Um, and then that then it basically kind of brings back that frequency within that that region of the body. Is that correct? It unblocks it. So unblocks say, for it. example, um, you've hurt your thoracic spine. Yeah. Thoracic spine will be a different frequency to cervical spine um, to lumbar. For example, with cervical spine, it's only um, bladder meridian that necessities, whereas with lumbar spine, it's the bladder and the lung. So, of mm. course, you're working with different. Um, so it will unblock at the frequency of, say, lumbar spine, but do both the bladder and the lung meridians. Whereas if it's unblocking at the frequency of cervical spine, which is slightly different, it's only doing the bladder meridian as the corresponding. And that's why getting energy moving, stagnant energy is pain. That's why people yeah. have acupuncture and feel better afterwards, because it's getting the energy moving. And yep. you can use it on body as well. Um, and certainly if I want to get rid of pain in a hurry, um, I'll often, particularly on myself, I don't tend to use it with clients on body purely from the point, I'll do it with friends, but from the point of view of I don't have certification. If I was a nurse or a remedial masseuse, for example, and had the piece of paper to be able to do hands-on on people, I'd use it all the time. But it's the old not what you do, it's what you seem to do. Um, if I've got a headache, I can run it off body and within 20 minutes, it'll get rid of it. But if I know it's because my neck's out and I can use it on body within two and a half to three minutes, that'll have got rid of the neck um, being out. It'll have got all the blood flow going. So it's just that little bit quicker. Right. And then does it have, I mean, I'm sure it does, but talk about the emotional side. So if somebody's dealing with, let's say, past trauma um, or whatnot, uh, or just, you know, struggling with an emotional, you know, upset that maybe it might be something in the future that they're going to have to face. So let's just take a, you know, a school kid, you know, getting a bit anxious about a test coming up or something like that. So is this tool beneficial for situations such as that? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's got chill, which is long-term stress. That's the mental got to do this, need to do that. Oh my God, mm -hmm. am I going to pass the test sort of scenario? Yep. This is ESR, which is emotional stress release, um, which is more short-term stress. It's got inner peace, which is, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I know I'm okay. And it's got love and it's not the Hollywood love stuff. It's that connection or feeling disconnected. Um, mm. And also the balance of, you know, like the martyr mum who needs to learn to balance the love for herself with the love for others. And just on that point, the love, it's absolutely fascinating to me. Um, and they have all of those in the infraceutical range too, to see how much in lockdown, pretty much every, and keep in mind, we've had five now here in Melbourne, every single person or animal or both, um, because of course, animals mirror their humans and humans mirror the animals. Yep. But love has come up because of that feeling of disconnection in lockdown each time. Right. Interesting to watch. Absolutely. Incredible breakdown. I mean, you just opened up my eyes to a whole new, you know, uh, modality in terms of, you know, being able to use these, you know, what I, what I like to refer to as the next level pathway to health, you know, because I, I, a lot of this stuff, is you know the movement is is strong right now in terms of people starting to look for these alternative methods. Some of them are ancient that are coming back around. Some of them are have just come up in the past few hundred years, but are really gaining traction. Um, there's just so many so many key um, ways that we can turn to al alternative methods to benefit both health for ourselves and our animals. And I'm just fascinated in, in, in learning new ways and new techniques. So, uh, what I want to do is just, you know, now that you, we, you've given a nice overview of NES therapy and CST, describe a day in the life of, of your own clinic. I know that you talked about being on the road quite often. So you do primarily, you go see your clients? Are you more of a mobile practitioner or, or how does that work? Combination of both. I used to be pretty much all mobile, but I lost 
um, probably 80 to 90% of my business when I did my back because I couldn't drive, I couldn't do anything for about yeah. six months. It wasn't much fun. Um, and of course, communication can be, I, I've now decided I used to, and it was more because the clients wanted it. They, they couldn't get their head around communication if I actually wasn't there. And I just went, well, I don't need to drive. So I'm not going to do that anymore because I do a lot of international and interstate work. And obviously you're not traveling to go and see the animal there. So communication's always done from home via the phone. Some communicators do email. Yours truly is too lazy to type that much, being honest. (laughs) (laughs) But also I like it being interactive because the the human will say something or the cat, for example, will say something and you'll go off on a whole completely different tangent. And I just find it's much more interactive. So that's the way I work with that. Um, I work at a vet clinic one day a week. I work at Pause Connect, which is a wellness centre, which is everything bar the vet and grooming. That was one of my clients um, decided, and hats off to Jen, she worked for over 20 years to get it to happen. Um, and it's you know homeopathy, kinesiology, physiotherapy, hydrotherapy, obviously the modalities I do, um, aromatherapy, everything bar the vet and the groomer all under the one roof. Wow, that's incredible. That sounds like a clinic that, you know, I foresee myself opening up one day, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it's that makes it easier for me because obviously you're working, people bring the animal to you. But I mean, I've got some regulars that I've been treating for years. And I mean, one in particular springs to mind because um, he's never traveled well in the car. And I mean, they put their wedding on hold to put a hip replacement in this dog as a puppy and mm. I've looked after him ever since. So obviously I will always travel to them. Um, and I mean, horses, you can't quite pick them up and pop them in the car and doddle them somewhere. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, you know, obviously with horses, I'll travel. So, I mean, I may, um, the way I'm trying, notice I said trying to schedule, um, early mornings, usually social media, and then I'll go and do, work with my own animals, my own horse, um, dogs, etc. But of course, if I've got any um, international work, it that will often start at 6am because of course, with the time zones with America and the UK and so forth and Europe. Yep. So I'll do that, then go and do if I can my lot, then I'll either toddle to the vet clinic or to Port Melbourne for the wellness centre or I'll start, I might do phone consults. Um, I might do a couple of house calls. Quite often house calls have traditionally been done in the evening because with all due respect to clients, remember the days when we actually went to work those days, they used to have to get home, um, which would be six o'clock and I wouldn't be arguing with peaks. So I generally do house calls about seven o'clock in the evening. Yep. Plus, of course, if you've got, say, a great Dane that's just had spinal surgery, you don't want them trying to get the poor thing back in the car and home and out again um, when they're in their own environment. Then they'll just crash and sleep, and that's the best way of them processing, and that's the way I'll, I'll then get the best result with the dog. Right. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I, for me, um, I, I do a lot. Well, sometimes I'll have the client come here. Uh, I'll also do a lot of, you know, Zoom calls internationally or even domestically, really, just because, like you said, it's it's sometimes you just can't get the horse in the in in the um, in jump the horse, throw the horse in the car and head on over. But I also like to see the animal in their own environment because you can just really learn, you know, the the deep levels of who they are and how they respond and and everything else. They're just more of themselves you know, which with my work, I need to find out, you know, the entire history, the entire personality and everything, you know, in depth. So I love doing the, the mobile, you know, visits because of the fact that I can really see the animal for who they are. Um, and and, and it, it, that helps me out tremendously. So oh, and seeing the house set yeah. up because people, um, you know, say oh, something and then you look and it's this wondering why their dog's not getting better. And it's all polished tiles or floorboards and the dog's got no traction. Actually being able to visually see because every house set up is different and that impacts on the dog or the cat. Yep, absolutely. And the environment too, like what else is going on in the neighborhood? You know, what else could be possibly stressing this animal out, which is affecting 
them to be able to allow their body to heal, you know, cause there's all that comes into play. And, you know, it's, it's that, um, you know, the, the, the little scenarios that come in and, and they set the animal back. And a lot of the times it is, you know, emotional stuff going on, or maybe it's the household and, and conflict between the, the kids or, you know, who knows what, but um, yeah, so it's, you can really learn a lot about the environment and, per, and these little simple solutions like, oh, well, maybe we should eliminate this um, can really take the, the road to healing, you know, really allow that road to healing, you know, travel much faster. So yeah, it's very interesting to, to see all this in play. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's something that I think we're, we really let us, uh, our animal friends down is um, as you said, it's that whole, what do I need to cut out or do? Because I'm going to be go out on a limb here and say 85% of what I see is not actually about the animal. They'll get you in because it makes them feel better. But you know, when you say it needs such and such, oh, well, I don't know that my husband will do that or you haven't even asked him. Oh, but I don't think he'll do it. So it's actually about the marriage. And that's something yeah. that we really have and the biggest thing I do as a communicator is bring it back to species because you know as my cat said once murdering birdies is good for my stress levels you should try it sometime well murdering birdies isn't going to do anything for my stress levels drinking coffee is not going to do anything for the cats it's that yeah. species difference you're not going to roll in horse poo and eat it your dog will dog's not going to jump <laughs> on google but people expect the whole, you know, you would have heard it a million times. Oh, he's not a dog. He's a four-legged human. And yeah. they only say that to me once, oddly. But it's that whole thing of you need to allow a dog to be a dog. And yeah. these days, you go back 20, 30 years, a kid went near a dog food bowl and the dog growled. The kid got told off. Now the dog's euthanized. Yeah. And we are so completely unrealistic. I mean, we have totally um, lost our way with a lot of stuff, but we're expecting so much from our dogs and cats in particular. Horses get it a little less because they live out in a paddock, not in with people. But people really are looking for them to be the emotional thing, the scapegoat, the whole box and dice. Yeah. Uh, and animals will try and step up. But is that fair? No. Right. Yep, exactly. I remember one of my mentors, we were talking about a, uh, we were reviewing a case and it was on this dog and she was really trying to stress um, about the fact that is this bad behavior or is this just dog behavior? You know, so she made it real clear, a real clear point there, you know, is this bad behavior or is this just simply dog behavior? You know? And we, as soon as we get, you know, clarity on that, then we, it starts to, you know, come back around and the dog's just being a dog ultimately, or the cat's being a cat, the horse is being a horse, so to speak. Yeah. And we have to learn to fit in with that because a dog can only be a dog. Yeah. And that's where, you know, people go. Oh, but it's got separation anxiety. Well, yes, but I told you six months ago to start putting that dog out for an hour or so in a different room outside for a couple of hours. And you told me you couldn't do it because you feel bad. Now you're going to work again for seven or eight hours. You're coming home, you're exhausted. And then you're telling me the dog's the problem. Nothing has changed in that dog. The only thing that's changed is you and then you're claiming the dog is a problem and you know, the dog pays the ultimate price. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like your, your, um, your lifestyle is incredible for one, just, you know, what you described earlier with, you know, you get the day going is with the animals and then you're going to this vet clinic and that this mobile house call and this, that, and the other, I'm sure it's a busy, busy life as well, but very fulfilling at the end of the day. So tell me about your podcast and what inspired you to get that started? Um, lockdown, being honest. I was yep. talking to um, a lovely guy called Dean Akers, deanacres.com. He used to be for about 12 months, he was the CEO of Ness. Um, the guy's okay. got patience of a saint. Um, great entrepreneur, fabulous people skills, unlike me. 
And I was fortunate enough that he said to me, because people pay big money for his time. And he said to me, look, call me one day, you know, love to chat. Fine. So I did. And I said to him, all right, suggestions, because with lockdown, can't do CST, really can't do much nest, need to build up the um, communication side of it. What would you suggest? And he said, well, why haven't you done a podcast? It's simple. Yep. I'll give you a whole bunch of tips. Off you go. So, um, and it's funny, I had been thinking of it anyway, and that was just the proverbial fire to um, get stuff started. Nice. And what is your podcast called for our audience so they can go check you out? Talking with the animals. Talking with the animals. Yeah, it's on Apple and Google and Spotify and iHeart and all the others. I mean, there's so many players out there now. But it's nice with the animals and then um, animal communication with Caroline Pope. Perfect. I mean, it, yeah, podcasting nowadays is just going, you know, it, it is the, you know, new form of major communication, you know, and it really allows people to express themselves and in, in, in get the word out, you know, you know get their message out. Uh, and I love having these conversations too with people, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit, you know, somebody had asked me, well, what's your ratings? And I'm like, I don't really care about the ratings. This is not why I do it. I do it so I can learn from other people ultimately um, and, and allow people to hear these different paths of life, so to speak. And that's, you know, what, what my podcast is all about, the path less followed, you know? Um, so it's, it's very interesting for me to learn from, people like you and and we've i think we've learned heaps today and i'm i'm really looking forward to looking i definitely want to look into more about cst and nes therapy uh you know just really sound like, like phenomenal techniques to really implement implement um you know into my own lifestyle and with my animals specifically so any other projects going on right now one sort of it's, you know, everyone's got their bugbears. One of mine is the whole Peace, Love and Moonbeam Brigade with all due respect to them. And I do get quite a few of them first time around. But I really, if anyone, any listeners out there have Steven Spielberg's phone number, please pass it on or email. I'd be very grateful. What I'd really like to see, I mean, you look at a lot of the new age movement now and they've got like, um, it came out with, oh God, can't remember what, the one with the sisters um, that were witches and then they've got medium and they've got ghost and they've got all of those, mm -hmm, but yep. I'd really love to see. And I think the closest I've seen to communication came out. That was that movie avatar, how everything is connected. Oh, yep. um, a lot of that was telepathics. Yep. I'd really, really love to see a movie or a series made on animal communication, but a realistic one not a peace love and moonbeams one but a genuine one you can't save the world um my thoroughbred who you know the laugh was on me because i always said i'd never got get a thoroughbred wound up with him and i was totally totally besotted with him would have done anything for him um and he wound up he was one of the many hundreds and hundreds of thousands of horses that has the c6 c7 malformation Mm. There is no cure. And he unraveled as they all do. And I had to let him go. All the communication in the world isn't going to save that. And, you know, that's something that I think needs to be documented. There isn't always a happy ending to everything um, for everybody, but it doesn't mean you stop doing what you do. You help the ones you can work with the others and move on. And there's so much that you could do because I think it's something that people say to me all the time. And I guess because it doesn't affect me, I don't recognize it. But they say to me, I can't take on that the whole rest of the world has this massive communication network that I as a human are not a part of and that I'm actually the one cut off, not everything and everyone else. And when you tap into that and realize that, yeah, your cat may well warn you that your kids being bullied at school for example or one really awkward conversation not so long ago that the son was on drugs by the dog um and the father was a copper that was a fun one but all these sorts of things come up we miss out on so much and people say i can't take that on without it changing the way i see the rest of the world well good have it changed because when you start taking that on hopefully then 
it will also change the way we look at, at the planet. A friend of mine, a cockatoo, who actually does talk like a human, he's um, he tells me he's a demigod, but you know, I remember <laughs> him saying one day on the phone, "No, no, I'll email you the receipt. I'm a cockatoo. Saving the trees is very important." <laughs> <laughs> and it's that whole different point of view, but he's he's absolutely right. I mean, for him, saving the trees is really important because it's a big part of his life. Yep. Absolutely. Caroline, I really want to thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It's been a tremendous conversation. Just really love what you're bringing to the table in terms of animal health care, holistic animal health care, you know, the next level to health care. So, all right, folks, go check out Caroline Pope. Her website is www.caroline-pope.com, especially if you're in the Melbourne, Australia area or anywhere in the world really and you can benefit from her skills and her techniques uh, we'll see you next time on the next podcast cheers everyone <laughs>